Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. Jesus once told Satan that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us to learn about the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our pastor is Mr. Jeremy Visser from Brooks, Georgia. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.org or simply write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. If you desire, you can also follow us on YouTube and Twitter. We would like to hear from you, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that His will will continue to reign upon us all. Once again, welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry, and here is Pastor Visser with our next Bible study. Today we're going to continue taking our look at the book of the minor prophet Nahum. And we're actually going to be looking at Nineveh's captivity and them being spoiled because Yahweh God pronounces judgment against that wicked city. And you will see as we progress that Yahweh has to pronounce judgment against Nineveh because Nineveh had a wicked queen a female ruler that were over the remaining Ninevites. But in the last part, part two, which was recorded about two months ago in April, I promised that I would point out that Jesus Christ straightforwardly said, He beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven. Perhaps you're familiar with this because it's found within the Gospel according to Luke chapter 10. Yahshua says, beginning in verse 18, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. What should be pointed out here is that Christ himself equates our adversary or the enemy of God, to lightning. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Now why is this important? Well, turn with me once again to begin this particular study to Isaiah. And in Isaiah, I want to point out the similarities between Satan and Lucifer. Now we know they are one and the same. But there are false prophets who will come in and say, well, Lucifer's just the king of Babylon. Interesting, is it not? Well, let's look at what this supposed king of Babylon did. In Isaiah chapter 14, we read, beginning in verse 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Notice, just like in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, Isaiah, in the 14th chapter, verse 12, says that this same exact deity fell from heaven. Meaning, it was a form of light. But what's interesting is that this word Lucifer, as a name, means what? Lucifer means shining one and or light bear. Lucifer's very name in the Hebrew is because of light. Now, he is a morning star, therefore he is supposed to reflect the light of the Son of Righteousness, being Yahshua Messiah. 
But the Assyrian that we've been dealing with in this series on Nahum, also known as Nahum, is Satan, straightforwardly. Here in Isaiah 14, 12, You art fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. Well, we know that no man hath seen heaven at any time. Therefore, this can only be an angel, and considering that Babylon means confusion and God is not the author of that same said confusion, then this Lucifer is obviously the same exact Satan that Yahshua said fell from heaven. And fell from heaven like lightning. Notice right here in verse 12, continuing the narrative. Regarding Lucifer, Isaiah says, How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nation? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to the sides of the pit. So this is the judgment that is pronounced against Lucifer. And this judgment is pronounced not only because he fell from heaven, and we know that this can only be Satan and his rebel angels, but because he also had this mindset. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above all the other stars of Yahweh God, and I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Now, at first, this may not sound like it's extremely important, but it is. And as we go along in Nahum, you'll be able to see why. What's interesting is Huzab, the queen of Nineveh, who we're about to deal with right now, had the same exact mentality. And so it could be said for every ruler of man, they all want to be like a god. They even want to exalt their throne above God's position. Meaning they want to play judge, trial, and jury when judgment is left to Yahweh God. So Satan in Scripture is attributed to light, being a light bringer, which is what Lucifer means, or Satan. Another point that I would like to bring forth is the fact that Yahweh God it is who appoints every ruler, whether they be wicked and or righteous, It is Yahweh God who allows them through His power and His sovereign grace to abide for the amount of time that they do. Turn with me to the New Testament. And in Paul's epistle to the Romans, we're going to confirm this fact. Because I received many emails from people saying, well, why would a God of love allow a wicked ruler, a wicked ruler like Lucifer, the king of Babylon, a wicked ruler like Satan, also known as the Assyrian, or a wicked ruler like Huzab, the queen of Nineveh, who we're about to discuss. But in Romans chapter 13, pay close attention to verse 1. Paul says, Let every soul be subject unto higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Notice, Paul, at the beginning of chapter 13 here in Romans, does not say that God is only responsible for good. That He will only pour out blessings. But rather, whether we have a wicked ruler like Saul, or a righteous ruler like David, 
all of us Israelite souls are subject unto these higher powers. Now, I'm not saying blind obedience is the key, because Christian duty is to only submit to a Christian government and to serve God over mammon, to not be men-pleasers. But the point that should be brought forth is the fact that God appoints good and bad. And we confirm this in part two in the series on Nahum. If Yahweh appoints all rulers, then the Assyrian was appointed by him, and that was confirmed. But the Assyrian was a destroyer, and that was his job. The Assyrian came to destroy Nineveh, and to destroy Nineveh for a specific reason. And that reason, of course, is that they did not resist the power of evil, the power of a woman ruler, or the power of even the ordinance of God. There is power within His commandment. This is why Paul will continue in verse 2 of Romans 13. Whosoever, therefore, resisteth the power, resists the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive unto themselves damnation. They that resist what? The rulers of God that are risen up. Be them either good or bad. Now, we are not to allow our rulers to lead us into apostasy. Because ultimately, our personal apostasy will lead us to a national apostasy. And before you know it, we're appointing strangers to be rulers over the children of Israel. And more importantly, we're appointing women to be our ruler. And that, my friend, is what the theme of Nahum as a book is. Nahum is meant to be a companion piece for the book of Jonah. And I'm sure you know the story of Jonah, because Jonah was chosen of Yahweh God to go to these same Ninevites. And he would not go. He would resist initially. But ultimately, he did go. And he preached, and many of the residents in Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. But here, a short time afterward, the entire city was engulfed, meaning that leaven is just that. It will expand. It will become worse. And while it is in America, you should be able to see many correlations to the Ninevites of old that were destroyed. So Romans chapter 13 verse 1 says, There is no ruler but by God. No ruler, good or bad. Male or female, stranger or Israelite, alike. God is in control of all things. And that is confirmed in verse 1 of Romans 13. For there is no power but of God. There is no power but of Yahweh, our Redeemer. So what does this mean? This means we must recognize first and foremost that God is in control of all things. And it is the way of the superstitious Israelites time and time again to think that man will deliver them. In the case of the minor prophet Nahum, the Ninevites believed that a woman could save them. A woman, a human. And her name was Huzab. So, let's now continue reading in the book of the minor prophet Nahum, chapter 2, beginning in verse 7, where we left off. This is God pronouncing captivity upon Nineveh as a city. And as we go through this, notice that Yahweh God does not differentiate out particular sheep from goats in this narrative. 
Just like in Sodom and Gomorrah and many of the minor cities we'll be discussing today, Yahweh God came in and destroyed every resident of Nineveh. Every resident. And so it would have been the same for Lot had Abram not made intercessory prayer for him. So in verse 7 of Nahum 2, we read, And Huzab shall be led away captive. She shall be brought up, and her maids shall lead her, as with the voice of doves, tabering on their breasts. Who is Huzab? Huzab, my friend, is the queen of Nineveh. And why is this important? Well, it's important. Because so far in Nahum, and at no place within this entire book, all three chapters, will you see judgment pronounced against the king of Nineveh. This means that the ancient Ninevites were ruled over by women and children. And we're going to confirm that. But the point is, is that Huzab was the queen of Nineveh at the time. Number one, it is forbidden for the Israelites and even Gentiles to have a woman or a strange ruler over them. But number two is this fact, that leaven expands and apostasy gets worse, as I've mentioned. So Yahweh God pronounces His judgment not against the king of Nineveh, but against the queen, being Huzoth. Why the queen? Well, we know that Yahweh God is in control, right? We already confirmed that in Romans chapter 13. But Christ also reiterated this, and I feel this is important. When he was delivered up before Pilate, we read in verse 10 of St. John chapter 19. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Question. Knowest thou not that I have the power to crucify thee and the power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Who would that be? That would be Judas, because it was Judas who delivered our Redeemer over to the enemy. But just like Paul says in Romans chapter 13, verse 11, that there are no rulers but by God, notice Yahshua says, you would have no power over me except it be given you of my Father. Why is this important? Well, Huzah, the queen of Nineveh, is about to discover that herself. And while it was that many of the Ninevites had to give, at least on its face, homage to their queen, because that was the law of the land, that violated the law of God. So, do we seek to persuade men or God? The bottom line is, the reason the entire city of Nineveh was destroyed was because A, they appointed a female ruler, and B, that female ruler led the rest of the residents of Nineveh into sin. So, Huzab, being the queen of Nineveh, shall be led away captive, and this was fulfilled. And we touched upon this at the conclusion of part two. But Yahweh God pronounces judgment against the rulers of the nations first. And so it is with the whore of Babylon. And you will see many correlations and similarities to Huzab, the queen of Nineveh, and the latter whore of Babylon that is to come. So the pronouncement of Yahweh God is she shall be brought up. Her maid shall lead her as with the voice of doves, and they shall beat upon their breasts. 
as was customary at the time. Verse 8. But Nineveh of old is like a pool of water, yet they shall flee away. Stand, stand, shall they cry, but none shall look back. Does that not remind you of an era that you live in? For example, an era in which a majority of people say peace, peace, and there is no peace because we live within an era of deception. Nineveh of old is like a pool of water, but what happens to a pool of water? It becomes a vapor. It ultimately will evaporate and no longer be a pool of water. That is why Nineveh of old would ultimately be destroyed. And this is part of that destruction. This is the judgment. First comes captivity, then comes spoiling, then comes ruin. So, not only will Nineveh, the city, be like a pool of water, but they'll flee away. They'll say, stand, and they'll cry, and none shall look back. Next verse. Take ye the spoil of silver, take the spoil of gold, for there is none end of the store and glory out of all the pleasant furniture. None end. What we're discussing right there is Yahweh's law pertaining to the spoils of war. The spoils of silver, in short, we could say, because it is the law of God that when a particular city is ransacked and or a village, that you take everything minus the males that are able to fight within those wars. To prove this, we don't have the time. But in Deuteronomy chapter 20, 21, 22, 23, and 24, Yahweh God outlines His conditions of war. I've recently preached on the concept of war for Memorial Day. And I prove that Yahweh God does not command nor forbid war because Ecclesiastes says there is a time for war. So if there is a time of war, spiritual and or physical, then there is a provision given within the law. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 20, we read at the very start, When thou goest out to battle against thine enemies and seest horses and chariots, and a people more than thou. Be not afraid of them, for Yahweh thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, delivered you from the land of Egypt. Part of the judgment that is pronounced against the Ninevites is against their gods. And we're going to prove that as well. But Yahweh God names their gods by name. And the God, unfortunately, was the God of Egypt. So this ties in perfectly. But the bottom line is, if we continue to read, Yahweh God says, If or when thou goest to battle against your enemies, you see horses and chariots like in Nineveh, that ancient city, this is what you do. You take over everything and you take the spoils of war. You take the spoils of silver. So God's law says that we are to take anything of value from those that are spoiled. But what we're dealing with right here is the spoiling of Nineveh. Notice in verse 9 of Nahum 2, Yahweh God reiterates, Take ye the spoil of silver, take the spoil of gold, for there is none end of the store and glory out of the pleasant furniture. This is what happens when a nation turns their back from God. 
when they would rather prefer a queen over our eternal king. And I've been contacted in times past by men and women who say, well, why would you say that we shouldn't vote for man? That's a waste of a vote. It requires faith to put God first. Anytime we accept our slave masters, anytime we allow a king or a queen that is unrighteous, we as a nation paid the price. Now how many Ninevites were destroyed? Or the descendants of the Ninevites to whom Jonah went and preached? And many of which repented as per Yahshua and the Gospels. So, Nineveh is spoiled, meant to be a plunder, and so it will be in this ultimate battle that we will be fighting. Ultimately, this is the mindset of God. If you do not serve me, then I will bring upon you a nation that does serve me. And everything that you worked for, everything that you built up, whether it's an empire and a city like Nineveh or America and Europe today, will ultimately be the inheritance of the saints. And so, we will see it is no different here. Continuing on in verse 10, Nahum will find utter ruin. Utter ruin. And we're going to deal with the Hebrew word buka here, because it's quite different than tohu vabohu. We read, She, referencing Nineveh, Verse 10 says, She is empty and void and waste, and the heart melteth, and the knees smite together, and much pain is in all loins, and the faces of them all gather blackness. So, three points are brought forth here. Nineveh is empty, void, and waste. Empty, void, and waste. Now, normally, empty and void would denote a tohu vabohu, which means utter ruin. However, here, the Hebrew is buka. It's a different term. And it straightforwardly means exactly that, emptiness. So, empty and void mean just that, emptiness and or nothing. But waste in this passage is what we need to pay close attention to. Because in the Hebrew, the prime root of this word means to annihilate. Therefore, in chapter 2, verse 10 of Nahum, we are told that Nineveh will be annihilated. Not only that, but left exactly what we read here. Empty and void. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry broadcast. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the Gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship, or receive quarterly newsletters where you can order Pastor Visser's CD sermons, be sure to write to us at CPM, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.net, where our extensive audio section features numerous broadcasts, or you can easily listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast through your mobile audio device. Our sermons and videos are made possible by your tithes and offerings. If you wish to support this ministry, make checks or money orders payable to Covenant People's Ministry. Your donations help us to reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel, wherever they may be found. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all, and is in all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life, 
and help to build his church so that when he returns, he will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply his words to your lives. It has been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. So three things lead to Nineveh's utter ruin, and that is empty, void, and waste, all sent by Yahweh God. Now do you understand why he spent time concreting in your mind that Yahweh God appoints all rulers? Yahweh God appoints all rulers, but so it is that Yahweh God can send emptiness, make an entire nation and or race void, and leave them annihilated and or wasted. But what we're reading about here is the fact that Nineveh will be brought to utter ruin. And today, Nineveh, of old, is in ruin. Just like Sodom, just like Gomorrah, and many of the other cities we're going to deal with today, like Put and Lubit. But what we need to understand is that this is the fear of Yahweh God. The way of a nation is to turn their back on Yahweh God when they feel they are prosperous. And man can redefine prosperity as much as they'd like. But we in America and Europe are not being blessed by our Heavenly Father. And it is because of disobedience. And it was no different for the Ninevites of old. Could it be that our acceptance and willing to tolerate Hitlery Clinton as a female ruler, which is actually a bit worse than having a strange ruler over us, will lead to the same end? That we also, America, and Europe and Australia will become empty and void and completely annihilated. I believe so. Because that, my friend, is what's coming. But God says there shall be no remnant. That's what he's saying. Utterly annihilated. Unlike with the Israelites. The Israelites would mess up. God would destroy those sinful people. But spare the rest because they did not bow knee to Baal. Not so with the residents of Sodom, Gomorrah, or Nineveh. They were all destroyed, every single one of them, because they accepted their queen. They accepted the national deity that they bowed to, which is populous no. And we're going to confirm that as well. Continuing on, verse 11. Where is the dwelling of the lions and the feeding place of the young lions? Where the lion, the old lion, walked, and the lions whelp, and none made them afraid. This is a question... And it's straightforward. Not much spiritual to be added here, even though I'm going to take it into that realm. But this is a question from God saying, where is the dwelling place of the lions? Nineveh, in this particular passage, is pictured as a lion's den, where the lion family has been secure and well-fed, like any nation thinks they are. But God himself promises to destroy the den and all the young whelps within it. Now, what is the significance of lions? I actually am going to be bringing forth a study in the near future titled Lions and the Bible. So definitely look for that. But a few things I want to point out before we continue in Nahum regarding this topic of lion is that our adversary, also known as Satan and Lucifer, is considered to be a lion. Is he not? In the first epistle of Peter, the apostle, towards the end of the New Testament, we are warned as the faithful 
In chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. So what does this mean? This means point one in Scripture, the lion is equated to Satan, our adversary. And we are told to be sober-minded. That right there, my friend, forbids alcohol, illicit drugs, and even fast food to a lesser degree. Anything that will impair your ability to think. So in Scripture, lions equate to Satan. But so it is that lions also equate to God, my friend, God. So to confirm this fact, we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 30. Beginning in verse 29, we are taught of four graceful things. We learn. There be three things which go well, yea, four are completely in going. A lion which is strongest among beasts, and turneth not away for any. What do we learn right here? We learn that according to the Bible, the lion is the strongest of beasts. The king of the jungle. That is why the analogy is brought forth in Nahum. And why God is equating the Ninevites to a lion's den. Because a lion can be both God or the devil, but the lion is supposed to represent, what? The strongest among beasts. Therefore, if the Ninevites were pagan and worshipping false gods, then they were worshipping our adversary, the devil, who walketh about as what? A roaring lion. Now, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 30, straightforwardly confirms that the lion is the strongest beast that Yahweh God created. So, how about Proverbs chapter 28, verse 15? Proverbs 28, verse 15 says, As a roaring lion and a raging bear, so is a wicked ruler over poor people. So is a wicked ruler equated to a lion. Therefore, does it make sense why in Nahum, as we cover this in chapter 2, God suddenly detours into Nineveh being equated to a dwelling of the lions. Back in Nahum, verse 11. Where is the dwelling of the lions and the feeding place of the young lions? Where is it? Where is it? Why? Yahweh is a lion. Yahweh, my friend, Yahweh is considered a lion in Scripture. Now, our Heavenly Father, Yahweh, is considered a lion in Hosea chapter 5, verse 14. Hosea chapter 11, verse 10. Hosea chapter 13, verses 7 through 8. So, the minor prophet Hosea straightforwardly gives us a key. And that is that Yah is a lion, right? Yahweh God is a lion. Why is that important? Because we're about to turn to Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 5, we find out another name of this lion. In the fifth chapter of Revelation, in the fifth verse. One of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. So before moving on, understand, Jesus Christ is the key and root of David. And being the root of David denotes that he is the creator. Now Hosea 
5, 11, and 13 all confirm that our Heavenly Father, the quote-unquote Lord, Yahweh, is a lion. And then we learn in the fifth chapter of Revelation that Jesus the Christ is considered the lion of the tribe of Judah. And not only that, the root of David. See how these are locked together in Revelation? The lion of the tribe of Judah is the root of David. Therefore, Paul Bashers cannot come in and say, well, Jesus Christ did not descend from Judah. But that's not necessarily my point. My point with this is, Yahweh God in the Old Testament is considered a lion. But so also in the New Testament are Jesus Christ and Satan, our enemy, the devil. So, perhaps it makes more sense why Yahweh God detours into teaching on young lions. Because you can choose which lion you want, whether it be the adversary or whether it be the living God. And in the case of Nineveh, they chose the adversary. In this book, considered the Assyrian, but elsewhere considered to be Satan. So, continuing on in verse 12, The lion did tear in pieces enough for his wealth, and strangled for his lionesses, and filled his holes with prey, and his dens with ravine. What is ravine? Ravine, in the Hebrew, is terafah. And it literally means a prey. Something that is hunted and brought down. But more than just being a prey, it literally denotes, in the Hebrew, torn beasts. Parts of their prey. An arm, a leg, perhaps even an ear or an eye socket. And Yahweh God is using this analogy in Nahum. He says that the lion, that he's equating Nineveh, of old too, when they were prosperous, did tear in pieces enough for his whelps. So they were able to go out, hunt, and feed their young. But not so under Huzab, the queen of Nineveh. Therefore, Yahweh God has to come in and destroy this entire city. The lion had enough to feed his young, and he strangled for his lionesses. And he filled his holes with prey, meaning he had over and beyond what he required. And that, my friend, is one of the first keys of knowing whether we are in apostasy, because the water temperature suddenly gets risen up. The first thing that goes, usually, is our prosperity, our overflow making it impossible to either tithe the Yahweh God or to man. So our prosperity goes first. Then a strange nation will come in amongst us. And that strange nation every single time will bring a strange God. And whether it is the God of Egypt being populous now, or today the God of Isis or these Muslims, which is not the God of the Bible, we see history repeating itself time and time again. So God brings forth this statement, this confirmation, and it is this. A, He will destroy Nineveh. B, He will spoil Nineveh. And finally, ultimately, C, it is Yahweh God who is the destroyer. Yahweh God does the destroying. Right? So, pay close attention to verse 13. Behold, I am against thee, saith Yahweh of hosts, and I will burn her chariots in the smoke, and the sword shall devour thy young lions, and I will cut off thy prey from the earth, and the voice of thy messengers shall no more be heard. 
The voice of thy messengers, Nineveh, will no longer be heard. Now I want to point out that there are men and women who will come in and they deny the reality of Satan. But Satan, known as the Assyrian and Lucifer in the Old Testament, is what we're discussing here in Nahum. And they come in, usually, by saying, well, Angelos just means messenger. But it doesn't. Angelos means angel. Here, in the final verse of chapter 2 in Nahum, we are told, Thy messengers shall no longer be heard. This is from a Greek word, Malak. And you guessed it, it denotes a false god. The false god of Malak that many people served. So, if they serve Molech and they serve Populus No, which is Ammon, and it's all said and done, God is the destroyer because all the Ninevites violated the first and second commandments of not having another God. And so, as it stands, I'd like to ask the listening audience, do you think casting a vote for Hillary or Trump or Bernie Sanders is not a vote for evil? Do you not think for a moment that Yahweh God will destroy us? And the second thing He will do after pronouncing judgment and taking our prosperity from us is that the voice of the messenger shall no longer be heard. So, the voice of the false prophets that bow to Molech, because this word messenger, again, is Moloch, and the voice of any angel that could be sent of Yahweh God, good or bad, my friend, good or bad. A messenger can be a prophet of Yahweh God, but so it stands. If a messenger also is angel, and Moloch means angel, look it up, then God will stop all messages, good and bad. Why? Because he's omnipotent. So Yahweh God is the destroyer, and we end chapter 2 on that note. God himself will do it, and I don't want you to be put off by this, because we learn many times, many times, that there can be no evil within a city. And Yahweh God hath not done it. For example, while we're here in the Minor Prophets, turn over to Amos. And we read in Amos chapter 3, verse 6, Shall a trumpet be blown in the city, and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in a city? And Yahweh hath not done it. Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but He revealeth His secret unto his servants, the prophets. The prophets of Yahweh God are his servants, not his messengers, not the Moloch Baal priests. But that's just a side note. Amos chapter 3 verse 6 says that Yahweh God will be the destroyer. And Nahum confirms that. If Yahweh God will do all of these things. Because why? He is against the Ninevites. And notice also that the city itself is referenced in the feminine because this again is against the queen of Nineveh. The king is not mentioned. Was there a king? No one really knows. But I'll tell you this. In America, if Hillary becomes president, does that make Bill the first lady? And what exactly will his position be? Because at least with Jezebel, Ahab played a part. But that's not what's mentioned here. The Ninevites seemingly only had this queen of Nineveh. And this queen exalted herself, believing herself to be a god, thinking she could be like the Most High. That's no different than Hillary, who wants to rule, opposed to Yahweh God, all the while professing to be some type of Methodist. 
or Christian. Interesting, is it not? So now, let's continue in the final chapter of Nahum. That is chapter 3. And in this chapter, we're going to deal with the causes of Nineveh's doom. We already partially dealt with some of those. A, a woman ruler. B, false gods. C, is that that city that is denoted in the feminine goes and plays the harlot like the Israelites of old. So in chapter 3, verse 1, we read, A woe. And a woe is a warning. A warning from Yahweh God saying something bad is about to come. This is the consequence of a decision, personal or national. Woe unto the bloody city. It is all full of lies and robbery. And pray departeth not. Now let me ask you, does America, Europe, and parts of South Africa, are they full of lies and robbery? Well, lies is a given, because the media is nothing but fiction. But how about robbery? Is it robbery to allow immigrants illegally to come into our country, to take our jobs, to take our homes, even, that we built with our own blood, sweat, and tears? Indeed, it is robbery, but it is part of the plan of Yahweh God. If we will not put God as our king and we appoint a woman ruler, Yahweh God will give us to the own desires of our heart. And it ultimately leads to all of these other things, the opposite of what God is. Remember that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. But Nineveh was full of lies. Remember that Jesus Christ, while He was in the flesh, thought it not robbery to be equal to God. But the thief comes, but to steal, to kill, and destroy. So when we live in a nation like Nineveh of old or Sodom, and we see all of these acts, murder, violence, lies, things that Yahweh God forbids within His law, we know it is because we as a nation are not putting Him first. And naturally, it usually begins with us appointing human rulers. If God appoints every ruler, according to Romans and John, then that means that Yahweh God will appoint both good and evil. If we appoint an evil ruler or a woman, God's going to give you that, and it will spiral worse. But if we appoint a Christian man as a ruler, Yahweh God will bless us as a nation. And part of those blessings is not having lies and robbery. And the America we live in today, my friends, has bars over all the windows of the houses. There's bulletproof glass in the drive throughs at the restaurants. Could it be because we also are going in the same exact path as Nineveh? Well, I assure you, if Hillary becomes president, and she likely will, we're going to follow the same path. This destruction will be poured out on us. Remember, Christ taught in the Gospels that for certain cities it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah and Nineveh even than them. Could that be America? Because I assure you, Nineveh didn't have churches. They had bail pits where they served false gods. They didn't have a codified written word. Neither did Sodom. But America, what is your excuse when you know better, when you know that the first commandment is to have no other God before me. If you appoint a man God, God will knock that icon down. So don't forget that. 
Verse 2. The noise of a whip and the noise of the rattling of the wheels and of the prancing horses and of the jumping chariots. The horseman lifteth up both bright sword and glittering spear and a multitude of slain and a great number of carcasses and there is none end of corpses. They stumble upon their corpses. What is this? Well, the causes of Nineveh's doom are given at the beginning of chapter 3. One, they are a bloody city because they are full of lies and robbery. The third of that, of course, is that there is murder. Notice in Nahum 3.3, they stumble upon their own corpses. What is that but a polite way of saying they as a nation, Nineveh of old, worshipped death. And that truly was the case when it pertains to populace no. Populus No was Amon. He was a deity from Egypt. He's known as the chiefest deity. And we're going to get to him momentarily. But that's what's being said here. While Nineveh was a city and Nineveh had an army, without God, no matter how big their army was, they would not overcome. And if God arrays his face against a particular city or group of people or even an individual, that individual will not stand in judgment. Why? Well, we already discussed it. God is in control of all things. God appoints every ruler. God even appoints wicked rulers. So, verse 4. Because of the multitude of the whoredoms of thy well-favored harlot, the mistress of witchcraft that selleth nations through her whoredoms and families through her witchcraft. Did you hear it, my friends? This ties all the way into Revelation. What we're dealing with here is a harlot. We're still referencing the queen of Nineveh, who is known as Huzab. And God pronounces judgment against her, and not only calls her a whore, personally, because she was their ruler, but the Ninevites became whores, did they not? Because of the multitude, or magnitude, of thy whoredoms, of the well-favored harlot. Well-favored. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given, that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.com, and share your Christian testimonies or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible Studies and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website or write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. We thank you for your prayers and offerings and pray that all of you have been touched by these messages and continue to spread the word of the gospel with your friends and family. Thanks again and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.